Gable's last trip to Cleveland was a lively one. Before his scheduled show, the frontman and founder of Florida punk band Against Me showed up at one of the city's commercial radio stations to play some music and blow the breeze with a typically vacuous on-air personality. When said host asked Gable about how some of his fans had been calling him a sellout, he asked her what she would say if he said that she worked at a sellout radio station. When she responded that she would ask him to leave, he did exactly that. Like anybody who has anything to do with commercial radio has the temerity to act so piously. This kind of thing has been business as usual for Against Me since the band chose to align themselves with the Warner Brother imprint Sire in late 2006. Against Me were the paragons of anarchist punk with albums like Reinventing Axl Rose seemingly issuing a call to arms for people to refuse lowest common denominator culture and the hollow promises of authority. In a lot of ways though, the band haven't changed. On their latest release, New Wave, Against Me are still railing against those very constructs, offering optimism and cautionary tales wrapped up in a downright empowering soundtrack for your car or your MP3 player. Hours after their Cleveland commercial radio debacle, Tom Gable and bassist Andrew Seward stopped by Lava Room Recording to chat with AP, and were pleased to say both parties were glad nobody walked out prematurely. Gable and Seward were upfront about everything, from the band's place in today's punk rock universe and their responsibility to themselves, to Gable's assertion that if he wants to make a record that sounds like Nickelback, he'll go right ahead regardless of what anyone thinks. Well, those may be fighting words here at the AP Skyscraper, but we're too in love with New Wave to care. I'm Jason Pettigrew, and this is the AP Podcast. Welcome to the AP Podcast. My name is Jason Pettigrew. I am Editor-in-Chief of Alternative Press Magazine, and I am lucky to be in a very small, crowded room with two fine gentlemen from against me, Andrew and Tom. Hello. Andrew, that's Andrew. Say yes. Again. Hello. Hot and moist. And Tom. Hello. 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 See? Isn't that, isn't that nice? Which just, you know, yes. it's, you know, the, the sweat is that brings us together. Ah, <laughs> uh, where to start? What I'd like to know is, I would like to know where you gentlemen got involved with music. Now, the way I understand this, you're an army brat? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so, and you did a lot, and you were in Europe? I, I lived in Europe from when I was 7 to 11. Okay, so I guess I, what I'd like to know, just exactly where your love affair with music came from. I, mean, I don't know. Um, I've just always kind of been fascinated by musicians and rock stars or whatever. Um, just from as early as I can remember, it's what I've wanted to do. I've wanted to, I wanted to play the guitar. I got my first guitar when I was eight years old, and I've just always been, as I said, fascinated by it. Uh, you know, pretty much the same thing, except uh, I had the older brother scenario where my older brother was metal, and then he went got into punk rock, and I was uh, four years younger, and I thought he was cool until I turned 16. <laughs> and then just, when did you I'm decide he wasn't cool? <laughs> around 16. No, 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 I love my brother, but yeah, I was, you know... Just, I was a very impressionable youth, and I looked up to my long-haired, weird-looking brother because he was rebellious. Ah, what was he rocking? Uh, of course, he was metal first, and then he went through the the stage of just listening to God Flesh and Death Angel and all that uh, all that stuff. Which Death I Angel. I tried to get into it, it didn't last that long, and That's then right. then he got into punk rock, and that was much more okay. much more uh, 
I can, I can, appetizing. I'm, I'm totally down with the Godflesh. I was a guy. I was, uh, I'm the Grand Pap that wrote the Godflesh <laughs> cover story in Alternative Press back in 1456. <laughs> but um, no, it's kind of interesting because I'm kind of wondering how how everybody gets their first initial musical moments that they want to like. They want to pick up an instrument and they're like really interested in like you know buying records or you know cassettes or whatever it was back then. And then how as they get older they go you know I'm going to write my own songs. I'm going to do my own thing. And just kind of what types of things were informing them, you know, to create the music that they that, that you did that you do. So I was kind of wondering, uh, how did you guys, where do you guys intersect at punk rock, so to speak? Can you tell me here, just all, that word, God, that, that word is just so emotionally charged. <laughs> you say that in five different, but I'm into punk. Well, what are you into? I'm like, oh, no. But, I mean, so I'm going to ask you personally what your, where your, you know, intersection is with, with punk rock, so to speak, like ages. I remember when I was, I think, 13 years old. It was the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Um, me and my best friend at the time, we, we were more so into, I don't know, I guess we had longer hair at the time and we listened to bands like Pearl Jam and, and stuff like that. And also I really loved The Doors and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And I remember that summer we were like, man, you know, school starts again soon. And it's like, you know what, this year, let's not get beat up all the time. Let's fight back if someone wants <laughs> to fight with us. <laughs> and I remember we made, had this like that, that like the exact conversation and at the same time kind of stumbled upon like the Sex Pistols and Operation ivy and those bands kind of fit that mentality a little more of we're not going to get beat up as opposed to we're going to get beat up and <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> except for you know go back to your room and smoke pot and <laughs> so uh, did, did you have like a battle cry did you have like a theme song battle cry no not really no but TV the, the music just anything. just fit the 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 attitude more <laughs> gotcha so did you actually find yourself taking taking a couple swings on behalf of what you know your new punk rock liberation. <laughs> yes, but I still got beat up just as much. <laughs> but it's, like, it's like gym class, you know. You gotta, you know, showing up to half the grade. You gotta, like, <laughs> you gotta make the effort. You know, I understand that. But I mean, I can understand where it's a total. And we're we're talking about Florida now, right? Yeah, uh huh. In Naples, Florida, at the time. Uh -huh. Naples. That's where is that in the scheme of things? It's uh, adjacent to Miami, right on the opposite okay. coast is Miami. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a do you have a story about getting throttled because of the music you like? No, not really. I mean. My friends and I, we we had started bands in, in seventh and eighth grade, and we were absolutely the worst fucking band you would ever hear in your entire <laughs> life. It's it's like the drummer just knew that one beat when they first get a drum set. Boom, boom, pa, ba, da, boom, da, boom, pa. It's the A.C. Slater beat from Saved by the Bell, sure. you know. Um, but then actually, uh, uh, one of my really good friends could play drums very well, and that kind of opened my eyes to you don't have to play that beat. And then we just started messing around in his barn and in my parents' garage and recording. And uh, and all of a sudden it became punk rock because we got away from the funk beat. Oh, okay, gotcha. What were you doing? Like, were you doing the? Was it the what they were called to the the uh, the forbidden beat? I don't or even the know. Hardcore, the oompa 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 oompa. Uh, kind of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much the the FYP beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great beat. Well, sure, exactly. If you're FYP. If. Yeah. <laughs> F one. Wait a second. What am I thinking? I'm thinking of something else. Do you know that? that FYP. The band, Todd, the old band off Recess Records from. Uh, oh, oh, that's right. Oh, jeez. Used to uh, went on to become Toys That Kill. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Thank you for school for massaging that piece of my brain that completely forgot <laughs> no about that. No problem. So, I mean, as far as punk rock goes, what were those things that? I mean, what were the things that drew you to that? Was it like? 
the whole, you know, the liberation of it or the, you know, the possibility of it? Or is it kind of like the immediacy where there's certain things like, hey, dude, we don't have to play like, you know, we don't have to play like, you know, that stupid shred-tastic yeah. Berkeley School of Music type stuff. To, I mean, were there certain things like, well, this is all we can play, but it's cool because it's immediate? I mean, were those the things, were there particular things that you that you really enjoyed and found, you know, something fulfilling in about it for me it was just totally the the attitude behind it and and it was dangerous you know and it, it uh it was confrontational and uh it just seemed more real you know i mean i i got into punk rock and at the same time went you know f three days a week and took classical guitar lessons and had no problem with that you know like it, it wasn't it didn't conflict with being into punk and like trying to want to learn how to play the instrument better i never like was like wanted the dumb down ability or anything like that I, not that i'm a good guitar player or anything but um you're pretty good well thank you but you're um, welcome yeah. is he, is he pretty <laughs> he's pretty good can he play like any yes song that i asked no him? no no he can't play like <laughs> roundabout or i don't know if can you name a yes song? I <laughs> can't. Can no. yes yeah. well, let's let's take it a you know one step at a time. Come on, you guys are rocking the classic rock. You got to remember something. Uh, Owner of a lonely heart. Well, I can play some Doors songs. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody. Knows, but can you play Rain Man Zarek's organ part on a guitar? <laughs> Robbie Cragger never impressed me. I don't care what dead ass classic rock completist is listening to this. <laughs> Heresy. <laughs> Rain Man Zarek went on to produce the X Records. A little bit of punk rock he trivia did, more. Completely. Yeah, uh -huh. Absolutely. But um, I was listening to it. It's really funny because I come from a small town outside of Pittsburgh. You know, classic rock. If it wasn't Journey Bus and Sticks, Kansas Foreigner, and you listen to that punk rock faggot stuff, you get your ass kicked, you know? And it was just recently that I just went back and listened to The Doors for the first time in something like 10 years. I'm like, wow, these are really good records, but it's not because of Jim Morrison's poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Rayman Zarek is like doing these really cool phrasings and things like that. John Densmore was a good drummer, too. Yeah, And I exactly. think Robbie was Krieger was a great guitarist. Krieger's okay, but I don't think he... But I think the <laughs> magic of the band is that, is, is you know, is Manzarek and Densmore because, come on, Texas Radio and the Big Beat. Come on, I rest my case. Roadhouse Blues. That's all. Uh, that's uh, all. Uh, Ray Manzarek. Uh, 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 oh wait, uh, Robbie Krieger. Uh, sorry. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. You just it. gave credit to Ray. <laughs> but, uh, okay. There. You caught me. Uh. <laughs> so, who are your favorite? I mean, back then, who were your favorite bands? I mean, as far as punk rock goes, who were you? Who were you like rocking full on? Who were your kind of? Well, uh, as a bass player, I was <clears throat> learning Operation Ivy bass lines. Sure. Yeah. And that uh, record just got reissued. Yes, it did. Cleaned up, remastered, reissued, all that stuff. I haven't, I've not heard it remastered, but it sounded great to me before. So, yeah. What is your favorite Operation Ivy song off the legendary? Mm, probably Bombshell, just for the bass line. That's, that's, I remember that being the hardest bass line I ever learned. I like sound system. But yeah. And what, what else besides Operation Ivy? Or what, 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 what were you rocking? Well, for me, I, I mean, living in Naples, and this is before the internet, kids, um, where you had to kind of discover things on your own, and there weren't, there weren't a lot of, like, older kids, or were there, there were no older kids to really look up to and, and get, take influences from, and any kind of scene that was around there in Naples was the scene kind of spilling over from the Miami-Fort Lauderdale, which was all Christian hardcore, and I loathed that scene, and I never really got into it. But um, so you know, you 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 got into Operation Ivy, and then suddenly you made the discovery that the guy from Operation Ivy is in Rancid, and then you discovered Rancid, and then Rancid kind of leads you on to No Effects, and then you just start checking all those bands' thank you lists and going out and buying the CDs of the bands they <laughs> thank and their side sure. their record sleeves, and and you know that leads you on to other things. Or you look at the shirts that they're wearing and pictures oh, you yeah. see oh, of them, sure. and you go out and like, oh, I gotta get that. <laughs> 
Shirts are important. Yeah, it is. Shirts are important. I mean, ba- back then they were I mean, because because that was like, I know my thing when I was when I was growing up and I'm like 18 years old and you know in basically Western my Western white trash Hamlet, a guy came into the record store. I was working for a national record mart. One of those stupid chains is not with us anymore. Thank goodness. And uh, the guy comes into my store and he's about he's about 10 years older than I am and he's wearing an eraser head button yeah. and a public image limited logo button. <laughs> and I'm like. You're my new best friend. <laughs> and since then, you know, it's my buddy Eric, and we've been, since then, we've always been like, we used to make mixtapes, and then we went to CDs, and then it was like, here's an MP3, check this out, because he doesn't live, he doesn't live in Pennsylvania. He, he lives in, in Illinois. So, I mean, it, that whole thing where there is that romantic notion of going to the record store and, and you know, discovering stuff that way. And now there's the whole, there's definitely, obviously, we do it with MP3 files and computer, you know, through computers and stuff like that. Do you think that in some aspects, because you came out of it, you discovered it at that level in that particular mode, do you find, do you find it, like, archaic, nostalgic, or was it, you know, this is where you get to be, like, semi-grumpy old man, things were better back then, or how, how do you... How do you feel about that? The whole I think, inarguably, I, I think that you can't argue that there was more of an appreciation for music than because it, you just had to appreciate it more. If you can, like, for me, for us, for back then, it was kind of like you found this record you liked and you listened to it for like a month, two, three months on end because you didn't know what else to go out and buy next, and it wasn't so readily available as opposed to going on the internet now and having access to anything you want. You don't have to spend that much time with something. The second you get bored of it, you can move on. Whereas opposed to if you only own four or five records, you're going to listen to those four or five records a lot more than your 80 gigs of, of MP3s you have on your hard drive, you know? Yeah, and because a lot of that is also, a lot of that is almost kind of like trophy wear. Yeah. I've got the new so-and-so record. It doesn't come out for another two months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you listen to it? Well, no, but I got it. Well, <laughs> do you like it? Well, I don't know, but <laughs> it's, it's almost like the whole type of appreciation of music seems somewhat, I don't know, Well, now, now it's benign. just, it's what, what record can leak first and who can get it. That's like the trophy. <sighs> <laughs> I must, I stole it first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have to. This is about the point in the time where I have to play some music. So I'm going to play some Operation Ivy. What else should we be playing? There is Tom Gable's Rock and Fave back when he was a young pup. Let's play some Crass. Crass, which one? Um, well, let's we'll just, just play Do They Owe Us a Living. If it's you can't. Deal. No right. sweat. Do They Owe Us a Living by Crass. Of we'll course be right back. They do. <laughs> I know things are getting tougher when you can't get the top off the bottom of the barrel. What happened? We're on the future now. Looking fucking new.
Operation Ivy and Crass, two of the favorite bands from our guests here from Against Me today. Whoop, whoop. Those, yeah, you know, I mean, it's there's another thing where I remember, you know, I remember buying, you know, records like rudimentary peony records and things like that. And you go back to those records now, and you don't look at them as old records; you look at them as good records. Do you have that thing where type of disconnect or something like that, where somebody will tell you, "Oh, I only listen to new stuff," but. You know, that's just so incredibly relative and pointless. I mean, how, how do you feel about the perception of music that way in some people's heads? I think that's just a testament of a good record. You know, if it sounds relevant today, it's probably just because it's a really good record, <laughs> you know? And, th- and I do think, like, you know, old Crass records and even, you know, the Operation Ivy records just sounds just as good today than it did back when it was released. The um, it, It's interesting, though, because I hear... I, I, I kind of, as you can tell, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit older than most of the most of the guys that come through here, and it's interesting because my experience with a lot of that older music versus their experience is, it's just somewhat. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to say it like. I'm trying. I really don't know how I'm, how to say this without coming off elitist or something like that. I think a lot of it is a lot more. I, I somehow think that it's a lot more casual when. Uh, I get that that type of warrior soul spirit was like, dude, my friends had blue hair and bought those records and got the shit beat out of them, so you could do it without anybody giving you any any stick. So, I mean, do you do you kind of like uh, kind of understand that? If you ever talked to anybody who's you know older than you, anybody that's older than you and's been in the trenches for a while and that type of thing, it's like, those damn kids. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. But I mean, you also experienced that yourself i guess you're talking about getting the shit beat out of you in school and you know yeah, while totally. rocking op ivy and, and pistols so i'm just kind of wondering if that thing st- still exists well i anymore. think there, there there is a real dividing line now that's not imaginary of just like oh back in the day because there is a real back in the day now there's a back in the there's day a back bef- in the day there's a back in the day before computers there's a back in the day in the day when you were a band and you toured without a cell phone like there's <laughs> bands out there that do not know what it's like to be to have toured without a cell phone do not want to know what it's like to be like crap we just broke down on the side of the road guess we gotta walk you know and try and find a fucking pay phone to call a tow truck or something not like call on your cell phone and have someone come get you or you're, where you're on tour over you know in europe and you're like you know for month two months and you're like trying to find pay phones and calling cards so you can call home you know like and uh, i mean you, you could go as far as i bet you a bunch of bands don't even know what it's like to tour in a van yeah yeah a bunch uh-huh. of bands don't know what it's like to tour without a, a gps and we should I don't want to sound map like, quest. Oh, I don't want to sound like a grumpy, you know. Go ahead, feel free. Grumpy old man. More amongst grumpy. Yeah, but <laughs> grumpy. I, I don't know. I, I think my biggest thing is just bands that go straight to a bus, because it's not that I, I care that they do that, but they're missing the adventure of actually going on tour and having shit get fucked up. I know 
that sounds really stupid, but the, most of the adventure is when shit goes crazy. That's where your stories come from. Oh, completely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I you know. The, the first tour I went on, I was 17, and it was two weeks. It was uh, along the East Coast, like New York City, Vermont. And the guy who booked our tour was a friend of ours, and he booked two shows for two weeks. We played three shows in 14 days. And the, real, and the number one rule of the road is, if you're not playing, you're paying. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we had no money at all. Yeah. It was, and that, that, was, that was just a really fun tour. I'm not saying people should do that and not book shows and go on tour, but it, it was definitely fun. Well, I, I guess, I don't know. It's just, it seems like there's a lot of things that have been somewhat, I don't know, you talk about this. I don't want to say, what's the correct word? seems like it's like lessened or demeaned somewhat. I mean, it should be a fight. It should be, you know, at that level when you're, scra- you know, if you, you, you if people preach about a whole DIY ethic and yeah, this, man, that, but, you know, I'm trying to think there's some hardcore band, I can't remember who it is, they were just saying like, no, no MySpace page. No, we're just going to do it the old-fashioned way. It worked for everybody we listened to. It worked for all their fans. We don't need that crap. You know, we'll do the website because obviously it's, you know, it's a, it's obviously a conduit to get important information out yeah. if we're doing a basement show or something like that. But, you know, the, the, the rest of the game we're not going to play. I can't remember who. can't remember the name of the band. Was it This Is Hell? I don't remember. What's wrong with me? <laughs> but, I mean, it is that type of thing. I mean, a lot of the bands that you, I mean, that you've come across in your past, let's say in the past five years, do you kind of look at them like something comes out of their head and it's just like because they're expecting a certain level of, a sense of self-entitlement where they're expecting something you're just like oh my god no. I just want to slap them we're, we're usually lucky in the bands we go on tour with uh, aren't assholes and, <laughs> and, and we like them and we're usually fans of their music so the against me uh, questionnaire to be on our to be on our tour are you an asshole yes or no, yes or no please define <laughs> So I don't. But you, th- you don't. So you really don't see a lot of that personally, or I'm sure you probably hear stories from other people like, "Dude, I just went out with in- insert faceless band name here, and they were, they were screaming about brown M and M's at a you know at an all ages <laughs> Is there anything like that? Nothing that's really coming to mind. Yeah. No. So wow. So you wow. So you've got guys have got this really nice, well rounded type of perfect. We type. only hang out with cool people on the people. <laughs> you've got that punk rock cool utopia as well. <laughs> <laughs> Except for right this very moment. Um, <laughs> as far as as far as new wave goes, I think new wave's great. Thank you. I, I think it's. I, I think it. The, what I really like about it is it's 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 all about being. To me, that record is all about being a rock band. And I loved. I talked to you for the uh, to, for um, in a story for um, searching for more clarity, uh-huh. and um, that was. I was one of those guys who was guilty of saying like, "Hey, it's like Sandinista by the Clash," which is not, which got misinterpreted as like, "Oh, they think it's the team of Jones and Strummer," but no, it was kind of because of the fact that you were doing a lot of different things, like getting the horn section from a Fela cover band to, you know, come in and do, do <laughs> horns and things like that, that no other punk band would immediately do. And I was just kind of wondering, as far as that record, where you're taking a lot of, I mean, there's, uh, it seems like it's a lot more arrangement-based records. Great songs, but a lot of, you know, emphasis on arrangement, whereas New Wave is very, like a tight, like a tight rock and roll record. Mm-hmm. Was it something that you wanted to go into differently? Like, well, we did this thing. Let's just go in there and do a straight-up rock record or something. How was the type yeah, of... Yeah, pretty much that's the exact attitude it was. Like, let's go into the studio and make a straight-up, concise, 10-song type rock record. And just beat that bitch out. That yeah, was just, it. like, cut off the fat, make it just, like, 
straight to the point, you know, and uh, yeah, I make it all songs that are fun to play live for us, selfishly, and uh, yeah. So no idea, this wasn't, you weren't about to have your drum and bass licks in there, or your free jazz section, or your... That's yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it like, at the time it wasn't like, okay, now is where we really experiment. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. no music, just spoken words. Like, that's, that's the next record. Yeah. Oh, great, we get to hear all of Tom's unaccompanied poetry. <laughs> um, family man. <laughs> I am the Lizard King. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Do you... I mean, so do you think at this point in time, how long this band's been together for? Ten years. So, ten years, you've accomplished a lot, but then what is it that you'd like to do in the future musically? I mean, would you do that? It seemed like there was a lot of opportunity, not opportunities, but there was a lot of things that worked really well on, on Clarity that, that I was like, wow. I mean, it showed just a lot of vision and a lot of ambition. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't dumb. It was honest. The, the kernel of the songs were still there. The emotional content was still there, you know, and all that stuff. It seemed like it was really, you know, concise. But it's a tricky thing to do because, like, um, yeah, I need, a, I need um, bagpipe players and an Aeolian <laughs> nose flute. And you can completely go over the top with that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I think how much of that was, how much of that was, um, as far as that making that record, how much of that was you saying to Jay Robbins, well, how about this? Or Jay Robbins saying to you guys, how about that or something? How, what was the, the basis behind that record? I think it was pretty much us. Like, we just broke every song down so much before we went into the studio and had an idea of what we wanted to do with everything. I think the only, uh, I think the one really notable, uh, notable Jay Robbins, like, how about this was the tambourine on Don't Lose Touch. <laughs> He's like, wait, I got it. And busted out the tambourine and started playing it along at this one point. Tambourine. So. <laughs> Hell of a tambourine player. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Jay Robbins rocking the tambourine? That's right. Don't tell You're anybody. You're kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm so going to give him you, shit next time I see Well, you know, it's funny. It's actually a lot harder to play the tambourine yeah. than you it is. think. Warren can't play the tambourine. Yeah, I remember Warren would go in <laughs> to do the shaky egg and the tambourine and just be like, I can't, well, of course I don't have a tambourine, so yeah. this isn't going <laughs> to so be any good example. Work, yeah, but you can put your, you can go up to mine, go. Nope, dropped it. Take again. No, sorry, but uh, but I mean, it's because it seemed that what was interesting is I really thought without ever hearing is like okay against me they're going to Warner Brothers, money's not an issue. They can make they can come up with some of their wildest dreams. They're, you know what they've what Tom's got whatever he's got ricocheting in his head. Because I thought that was like a that would be a really good launch point from you know the possibilities of um, the previous record, and it was just kind of interesting coming that you just came out and made a, a direct you know rock and roll record. What so did you do you have it all out of your system or are you going to like for the next record you're going to like take a couple steps back and go well what about this I mean what are you what are you looking at or are you just so immersed in new wave right now that you're not even thinking about what's going to happen next. Yeah, i kind of taken a break from thinking about what's going to happen next. <laughs> like, our touring schedule at this point has just been so ridiculous. Like, I, I actually, I was trying to trying to write songs a couple months ago, and I was like, man, I just, I'm going to wait until the new year to actually even start thinking about it and really devote any 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 time to it and just kind of enjoy what's happening right now and, and go out and play some shows, you know? So you don't even write on the road or anything like that? I usually do. And, well, I constantly write, like, as in with a pen on a piece of paper, but not always music, you know? 
Okay, so you're like a lyric idea or something. Yeah, yeah. You've got uh, obviously got a book. And, yes. You know, you've got uh -huh. stuff in. But, I mean, you're not one of those guys that uh, somebody's driving you in the back with, a, with an acoustic. I can be. You yeah, know. yeah. Uh -huh. you, I mean, if the mood strikes The, the acoustic you. is in the back lounge of the bus <laughs> right now. <laughs> he has been. I mean, you have been for a while. Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, Jesus, if you look at, like, the past couple of days even, like, there's no time. Yeah, we couldn't, know, like, yeah. Been all slow. All go, no slow. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you need to sleep at some point, too. Sleeping? Come on. <laughs> I know. Sleeping? You candy asses. I'm supposed to stay up for four nights in a row. And ten minute nap. Ten minute nap. I'm telling you, David Lee Roth. Ten naps nap. ten minutes for five hours. Four <laughs> hours. I'm telling you. Work for him. Look at him. He's a he's a very popular EMT right now. <laughs> his career's gone great. I guess. <laughs> yeah, man. You selling more tickets in his Van Halen reunion, huh, dude? Mr. Punk Rock. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Against Me Dude. <laughs> Um, one of the things I heard about the making of New Wave is that Thrash Unreal came from a dare or a directive from Butch Vig telling you to go out and write your version of Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. He's True yeah, or false? Uh, well, kind of, kind of true. It's half of the truth. Okay. It wasn't a dare. We were just talking on the phone one day, and he was like, you know, you should try writing something that's like a cross between Rebel Rebel and Walk on the Wild Side. Okay. So the bop bop bops are Lou Reed's colored girls singing do 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 do. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. So uh, what were those conversations? I mean, did you have a lot of those types of conversations? That was the only one where he made a total suggestion of like trying something in a in a specific direction. Most of it was like you know we'd demo four or five songs, send them, and he'd be like, "Those are A listers. Those are B listers. Those are C listers." How many songs did you have done before you went in? Um, there was like 20, 25 songs. 25. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we actually recorded. There's a whole other 10 songs out there that are recorded. We've released two of them, I think, so far. Mm -hmm. B-sides for British singles. Exactly. Extra tracks and for Jap the Japanese, Japanese pressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. iTunes exclusive. iTunes exclusive. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, so that's interesting that he would ask you those, you know, Rebel Rebel and Walk on the Wild Side. Because um, I kind of like that. It's kind of weird because you go back even further, and like in Britain, I know that like glam, that era of glam was kind of like the precursor to punk, and a lot of things because got the you know guys in makeup, androgyny, over the top stuff, dress up, all that type of creating whole lots of attitude. And I'm just kind of wondering, I can see like parts of that is are kind of like seeping into other, into other uh, things that come under the rubric of contemporary punk. That's my catch-all phrase. Do you like that? The air quotes that I did that? They, they can't see you in the podcast. I know, world. exactly. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I said He's I'm making air quotes. quotes. Air quotes. Baby, dig my bitchin' air quotes. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you think that Do you think in order for this in this type of scene to, I guess, kind of just flourish and, and uh, go on to the next thing, there's got to be some sort of, I don't know if it's actually going backward is the way to go or going forward. I mean, what do you, what do you think is kind of the problem with a lot of stuff today that's calling itself punk for some reason or another? I think the problem probably is that it's calling itself punk. I don't know. It's too I, broad of a word, too great. We were talking about this, uh, maybe it was me and Warren in an interview or something a couple of days ago, and talking about how now is such a weird period of time because 
all these other different retro periods of times exist at once. You know, you have your hippies, you have your, you know, punk kids, you have your, like, all these different eras, and there's discos making a comeback type shit, you know, and everything's existing at once while there's no real new thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I it's think like... that the solution is to, yeah, push forward. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's what, you, have, you have a problem with nostalgia? What's <laughs> well, your problem? Just a little too much nostalgia, you know. Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of like some nostalgia is forced upon you. It's something like that. Yeah, like yeah. That. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's do, do, what? What does that stem from? Does it stem from people go? You know, I'm bored with all this stuff. I wonder what my parents' records in the basement sound like. I think Probably we're, just, we're waiting for the great leap forward. Yeah. Lack of creativity. There, he said it. Dead silence. <laughs> there, he <laughs> said it. There you go. But, but in a way, I mean, going back and discovering your parents' old records, like uh, like an old Stones record or something like that, that's a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, I agree. All our, like, I think all artists steal or borrow from each other, but at the same time, you don't have to dress like the Rolling Stones True. when you're directly ripping off I got their you. music, you know? <laughs> you can take a little bit of something and make it into something new, you know? See, I don't know. I'm kind of torn because I truly believe every generation needs its own culture. Uh-huh. And like, you can go visit your parents' records. Don't go live in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and but our our generation's culture is just a collage of all these past generations' cultures. You know. Yeah. So kind of <laughs> like, so maybe I should probably shut up now or something. Like that. <laughs> as far as as far as going back to new wave again, I was wondering if uh, you know, obviously making the record was it really because um, I know if obviously if you're on indie if you're on an indie label. There's time constraints. There's budget constraints. You were pretty, didn't have to worry about that stuff. All you had to worry about is making the best damn rock record you possibly could. Yeah. And so there was no problem. There was no problem in, in kind of articulating everything you wanted to get across and try to get that to Butch, and it was all, like, perfect. Yeah, I mean, the attitude was pretty much we'll be done with it when we're done with it. I mean, to an extent. Like, I mean, I'm sure that the record label wouldn't have let us go in there and make Chinese democracy, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, like, 10 years from now, like, any time you want, boys, like, we know you're going to come out with dollars. a good debut record. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the major major label debut record, Just 10 years in right. the making. Yeah, but if reinventing Axl Rose was still selling 5,000 copies a week, maybe, they, you know, maybe, maybe. selling 5,000 copies a week uh, Is that what years, Appetite still sells? Appetite sells anywhere from two to 5,000 copies a week. That's more crazy. during obviously more during holiday season. Yeah, you know what I was blown away to read? Um, it, it's in the last issue of Spin that had that article on that band Bad Fish, the Sublime cover yeah. band. Yes. Is it Bad Fish, or no, Sublime sell more records now than Nirvana do each month or week hmm. or whatever sounds really? can. Yeah. That's just tragic. To it's me. crazy. Sublime. Sublime. Yeah. Or that Bad Fish is like a million dollar a year industry. From being a cover band. What a racket, man. <laughs> we did it wrong. Yeah, I did it. Wow. <laughs> Gee whiz. We thinking about We did it so wrong. <laughs> who, who, what cover band could we be? Who you can cares? Be, you can call yourselves 5,000 Fed. We could have been a cover Yes band. cover band. Jethro Tull. Who gives a fuck? Jethro Tull. You can call yourself Locomotive Breath. That'd be pretty fun. We could do like a fish cover band. That's where it's at. Oh, jeez. Good thing I didn't eat a lot before I walked into this session. I want to talk to you about Ocean. Okay. I'm ready. I, I really like, <laughs> I, I think that's, I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of torn. I think that's my favorite song on the record, but I don't know for what reason. This is what I, I I'm writing, a, I'm giving everybody a, a, a little taste of what's coming in AP history. We've, uh, for this year, we're doing the year in review lists, and I did my top five records to, five, top five songs to drive to, because uh-huh. I hate driving, so I need something that's going to make me feel better. 
So I, I wrote that um, I wrote this, <clears throat> and I quote, <laughs> um, if you have a need to get in touch with yourself, try driving over the highest bridge near you at 3 a.m., about five miles per hour slower than the posted speed. Now turn up the part where Tom Gable bellows, there is an ocean in my soul where the waters do not curve. Navigate your own psychic pirate ship into unknown waters. <laughs> There's something about that song that I think is... Are you looking at the lava lamp right I'm now? Kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of. You just said that you're looking at the lava lamp. I'm looking at, your, I'm looking at, I'm looking at your hand, looking at the lava lamp, pointing at the lava, hands. Don't look. Tom Gable's third eye is in the middle of his hand, ladies and gentlemen. That song. There's something about that. I think it's. There's something about that song that is kind of. It's kind of tragic and bittersweet, but it's kind of got a warrior spirit to it. You know, you know, like you know, against me is like this big damn pirate ship, and you know. <laughs> You bunch of scallywags are on to the next thing, but you know maybe there was a girl back there, or there was a friend that got died in a battlefield, or something like that. I mean, but you know, I'm of course obviously mythologizing this for the sake of you know <laughs> trying to get a trying to get a roundabout point across. But I mean, what is it about that song? I mean, tell me what that song's about. It's like rock journalism 101 question, but I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated about that particular song because it's. I'm not going to say it's out of place, but it seems like it's a lot more evocative to other people that can take their own certain thing away from it as opposed to a literal interpretation of something. I, I mean, I think that the, that song in particular just came kind of all at once, lyrics, music, and everything. And uh, it was one of those moments where I didn't really have to think about what I was writing. I just kind of wrote it all down and didn't really necessarily, you know, care if it made any sense really at the time. And then afterwards, I've kind of looked at it and thought about it. And I, I think that in the second verse for me is... is really just like kind of about m memories from childhood like I remember going to the beach when I was a kid and um you know you'd spend all day at the beach and you'd get really sunburned and and you'd like I remember during the summer like I'd lie in front of the window with like a fan kind of blowing from one side and to cool the sunburn you know and uh just kind of thinking of all those happy memories uh from my childhood and and hoping maybe one day you know that uh to have kids and have them have those happy memories so it's kind of that whole type of so it's kind of hopeful, yeah. it's reflective, and it's hopeful, and still kind of, you know, being positive for, you know, what's going to happen yeah. next. Okay, all right, I'll go with that. Do you have a personal, th I mean, you had to play on it, so it's, it's kind of, you know, what's that, what's it hold for you? <laughs> it's like an ocean in your soul, it's because <laughs> it's deep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, I mean, I remember when you wrote it, just because it was, we were on a very hellacious European tour, and we canceled a show in Le Mange, France, and went to this. It was it was wintertime, I believe, or it, it wasn't. It was colder. It was yeah, colder, yeah. and we went to this um, town in northern France. I don't remember the name of it, but right, you know, on the Channel, and it was the most beautiful place. And all we did was just drink wine and ate dinner for eight hours. And Warren <laughs> accidentally <laughs> ordered. 20 orders of mussels. <laughs> no, 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 of, of, of oysters. <laughs> oysters, he, yeah. Warren, Warren took French in high school. Uh, so, oh, you're petite, you know. No. He, he knows his little. <laughs> <laughs> He'll go through a fucking Burger King drive-thru <laughs> and go, I would like a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> let me get a <laughs> let me get a BK croissant. And, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I remember this, this is still, it's just side antidote, but he, uh, he thought he was ordering just one order of oysters but he ended up ordering 144 <laughs> oysters. Oh, gross! <laughs> Apparent, wow, wow! It was really expensive. And they were and they were <laughs> and they were like, I don't like oysters. He's the only one who ate oysters. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. So did you leave half of them there? Oh, way more than half. Oh. I think he ate about ten of them. So, 
Wow. The, the whole scene the was kind of similar to that uh, the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where um, Ferris and uh, Simone and Cameron go and they're eating in that restaurant and like Cameron's chewing on ice, you know, and like <laughs> everybody who's sitting next to them and the waiters are all looking at them with disgust and disdain, you know. We were just sitting there totally <laughs> dirty from tour and we're in this like French restaurant, uh, this really fancy host hotel, and like everyone else is suit and tie and we're just total scumbags. And Warren's butchering their language. And then we went outside. And but at least he was trying. Yeah. <laughs> Effort. We like that. Yes. We'll be back with some more chat with the, with the dirty, rotten scumbags of Against Me in a moment. Au revoir. Au revoir, Pee-wee. Au revoir, Simone. Blah, 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 Simone.
Mastodon. Mastodon. That you know, that's kind of weird because you, you guys toured with Mastodon, and I kind of think, you know, Mastodon are all about the metal, and against me seems to be more like that, like the, because it seems more like the small fire burning in a a big fire burning in a small room, you know. And there's something about Mastodon. It's like this. And you guys are more like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a lot more manic or something. So I kind of, but it's kind of weird because uh, it just seemed like kind of weird dichotomy of when you both when both bands toured together. And um, did you get a lot of other people thinking like, "What the Sam hell are they going out with Mastodon for?" Where a lot of people were like, "Dude, they're like awesome." Because you know sometimes because ultimately music fans they're these got these purists who be like, "Oh, why are they touring with them?" But then you've got this, "I like everything." <laughs> I mean, mentality because yeah. like you said that whole pastiche of different cultures that everybody's getting their stuff from. So I mean. I mean, not to be mean, but I mean, if people had a problem with that tour, I, I don't really see why, because it's just, it, it was good music, and if people don't understand that, then fuck them. Yes, I agree, fuck them. Yes, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Duke Ellington, Duke Ellington rule, there's only two types of music, good and bad. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of both. <laughs> you know, speaking, uh, there was uh, something that... Uh, I was uh, interviewed. We just did a thing, special alternative press about um, we, what we referred to as art brutes, which was just all these people who are in bands that do artwork and things like that. And I got was able to uh, I was able to strong arm. Uh, didn't have to strong arm, but Chris from Steak Mountain, yeah, yeah. who is mm -hmm. your illustrator du jour. I just got an email from him as I was in the bathroom. Very nice. How is Chris? He's doing good. He has two new t-shirts t-shirt designs for us. So now, okay. So I said. So he told me that he, he was under he was doing exclusive work for you, for work for against me right now. Except for his personal work, obviously. Well, probably yeah, yeah. sure. Uh -huh. And um, <laughs> as far as that, and he's like, yeah. So I've been I've been uh, he's been hired by against me to create artworks for every single track on New Wave. Yes. And I said to him, wow. So this is going to be like coming a big old like like briefcase full of t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and then and when I said that to him, you know, obviously half joking. He got real quiet, and he said, "I, I can't talk about anything, man. I don't know what you're talking about. So you want to, you want to, you want to fill us in on the world, of the, the in the world of the analog podcast. Do you want to like tell us, uh, tell us what you have up your sleeve? Well, he's doing, yeah, he's doing a design for every, uh, every song on the record, and um, I mean." Obviously, expecting someone to buy 10 t-shirts is a little ridiculous, you know, but um, I, I think with the designs, you know, there's limitless possibilities of what you can do. I know we'll do a pin pack, like postcard pack and stuff like that, some kind of print pack so people, if they want to own all the designs. Because, I mean, even if you don't like the songs, I think his designs are pretty good. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I remember, I'm a big fan, I'm a big fan of his completely unlistenable band, Combat Wounded Veteran. <laughs> I'm a, you know, but the whole package of that, that whole type of completely unlistenable thing and the just the artwork, the, the certain aesthetic. He's got these like weird mutant people on his yeah, he's awesome. things and that whole and then the t-shirt. Oh my god, that tentacle and the blast with the neon word combat in it. Yeah. Oh my god, I should have bought like fifty of them. <laughs> so that I'd always have one ready in case in case in case there was like wash day or something like that. But what I wanted to get to is that obviously the whole idea of selling the way the way music is consumed and you've got the whole illegal downloading thing and stuff like that and it's getting to thing like now we go on tour so we can sell t-shirts mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of wondering as music fans and the way you guys obviously interfaced with me oh, did i say interface i'm sorry the it's way a, you guys discovered okay. music and all that stuff a lot of that you know the, those days are, are gone buddy so i'm just wondering i mean how you feel about that type of thing both kind of like on a on a business level because you know let's face it vans don't run on dirt 
shit's going to be four dollars a gallon probably by the time this airs. Yeah. So I mean, how do you how do you like reconcile that? That's the way this culture is about downloading and things versus you know the mechanics of being in a functioning touring rock band. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had to reconcile it. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> okay. Maybe not reconcile, but I mean, do you kind of just? Is it just? Was there a degree of frustration? Like when I say to you, like, well, you make records so you can sell shirts. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of. I don't. I think if I was in a band or something like that, I'd just be like, son of a. Rassum, frassum, rassum, frassum, so to speak. And yeah. I'm just wondering because you know, you know, you paid dues. You did, you know, full on DIY. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna say you guys didn't work. And now with this, this whole thing happening, this whole cultural, you know, movement happening, uh-huh. it, it kind of, you know, kind of like almost robs that. Although I did, you know, admittedly, I did get a free. I did obviously because I am, I am rock journalism scum. I did get my free copy of. New wave. But I could go out and buy the vinyl. <laughs> sweet, sweet. And the so. vinyl came with the CD. <laughs> I had another one there, so you know. I should have, but I should have probably given it to a friend. Yeah, I kept it. Collector's <laughs> cup. No, you keep it the way it looks. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the record sounds pretty good too, by the way. Thanks, so thanks. Yeah. You know. Well, they, Warner went for the 180 gram vinyl, Hell so it's yeah. pretty rad, man. We didn't even ask them. They were like, "We want to do a 180 gram." We're like, "Awesome." Very nice. Very <laughs> it always nice. sounds better on vinyl. Yes, yes, indeed, it's true. So, I mean, you know, what about that though? I mean, the whole the whole concept of you know, the fact that essentially, as soon as it's out there, it, it can it's free, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're at a real transition point right now in, in this period of time where everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens in the industry and everything. So it's it's hard to make predictions or anything. Um, I'm not a fan of MP3s. I don't I don't like the way music is, is consumed in that fashion. But, um, you know, you can only be a grumpy old man so much and you have to kind of roll with the times. And uh, MP3s and all that stuff, it'll never affect the, the fact It'll never affect us going out on tour and playing as a band. Because you just can't download the experience of a sweaty, exactly yeah. humid rock show. Not yet. <laughs> Give it what time. Was it? What was that old was it Dennis Miller joke, the first guy that comes up with the virtual reality goggles that makes him feel like he's nailing Claudia Schiffer is going to like be the richest man on earth because once they can once they can adequately do that it's like forget it it's all over. but I mean like you know I, I completely agree with you with MP3s because I think you know buying an MP3 I feel like I'm buying gasoline what do I have at the end of it nothing <laughs> you know, yeah. what did I you know you're paying for a ghost yeah and what type of you know one computer crash later and like eh sorry it's all gone yeah yeah so I mean I don't but the reason why I bring this up and I'm kind of like harping on it a little bit is because the whole concept of punk rock being this thing where that celebration of the artifact, the picture disc, the 180 gram version, the uh, British 10 inch with the two bonus cuts, all that type of stuff, it seems like, which was kind of, you know, these things kind of, these kind of things, obviously record collecting stuff kind of defines a lot of aspects of what that culture used to be. And now it's turned into this, you know, like like we talked about earlier. Like I got ninety thousand things on here that won't be up for three months, and I haven't heard a single one of them. Well, I think Dig w- me. what's unfortunate about like, uh, you know, and what's unfortunate about like a lot of the punk rock culture, and specifically like kind of where we came from, is that it's it's punk rock's uh, refusal to grow and change with the times that is almost in a lot of ways enabled us to get to where we are now. The attitude that music, we oh, shouldn't have to pay for that. Show shouldn't be more than five dollars. I'm not going to pay for that record. Blah blah blah. I'm going to steal it. Like you're entitled to it. Like it's not someone's hard earned hard hard work or anything like that. And uh, I just think it's a it's kind of the attitude of the second hander or the looter. I had a friend of mine who was touring with a metal band uh, about ten ten years ago and. 
Alt Rock Nation. He was touring with a punk band. He was touring with a with a metal band, and uh, he was doing the whole thing about the what's the difference between a a punk band and a metal band. Punk kid goes up to the booth and says, "How much t-shirts?" Because t-shirts are ten bucks. And he goes, "Oh man, I saw you five months ago, and that t-shirt was like six bucks, and I had to pay twelve bucks to get in here tonight. I'm not paying ten bucks for your shirt. What? Is, you know, you should give me that shirt because I've been supporting your band for the last six years and going to see you and, and things like that. You know, uh, ten bucks. You go to hell, man. Same kid, same guy, same tour. Metal guy goes up to the the uh, merch booth." How much are shirts? Guy says, 10 bucks. Middle guy goes, cool, what else you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it kind of, you know, what I've always found is ironic too, is with like punk kids or whatever, um, they're like, you know, fuck McDonald's, you know, we're not gonna buy that crap, you know, fucking, you know, hamburgers and shit like that. And they'll gladly pay $2 more for an organic, you know, like veggie burger on an organic bun, you know, but when it comes to indie music, they want to play less for the independent music, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, why they, is that? Yeah, yeah, but they, 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 they'll pay more for their, their, their free range eggs, you know, than they will for the, yeah, I don't know. Because it's all a contradiction. I guess, but <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously against me's move to the major labels has been one thing that's just been beaten to to death. I mean, it's completely. Really? It's been completely. <laughs> the first time that, but the people had a problem with that. It's, I, I, I hear that. <laughs> I guess they had. A, I guess they had a pro problem with it or something like that. But I'm reminded. I'm reminded of something that um, uh, I looked it up to make sure it was in the right. Looked in our archives to make sure it was the right quote. Is from um, August 1993. Uh, I did an interview with Mark Kramer, the guy who runs Shimmy Disc Records. It was like an indie record record label back then, and. Um, it was one of the, you know, probably the more one of the weirder indie rec labels that was out there at the time. And uh, he was going on his because he would do work for bands on major labels and things like that. And obviously had a lot of contacts in that world. And he said a quote that I, I'm really fond of quoting frequently. It says, anybody who judges a painting by its frame or what gallery it's hanging in is a real fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think kind of like, well, I, I got to share that quote with these guys because <laughs> essentially, because it, it seems to me that, you know, they talk about, you know, you know, uh, I'm not paying for this, and they expect. Yeah, they obviously they expect you to do. I mean, what? You know, I saw you. I saw you four years ago. It was only six bucks to get in. Why am I paying twelve? You know, you go to hell and stuff like that. Well, I, I don't know. I think you guys deserve a raise. I mean, REM. You know, REM does. You know, you know. I, I remember going to see them and paying six bucks back <laughs> in the day. But you know, I. You know what I mean? Don't they deserve a raise? Don't you? You know, <laughs> you put some sweat equity into this. It's just. It's not like this is something that you do on the weekends. You know, I'm bored. I think I'll write some songs, record them. Now, to, to quote uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss, credibility is someone else's idea of what I should be doing, not mine. Exactly. And then, my, and then one of my favorite things is a sellout is a person who, this is from Jimmy Johnson from Force Exposure Dis Distribution, who said a, f a sellout is a person who no longer meets the needs of somebody who has needs that need met. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the late, great Colonel Sanders. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very cosmic. But I mean, you said we, like we talked about that sense of entitlement, and I just under, I I don't understand why um, uh, your band, which I mean, you haven't done anything stupid, as far as I'm concerned. If you would have made a record that sounds like Nickelback, then you know you deserve to have every piece of shit fire. You know. 
shat upon you from a mighty height. But you haven't done anything stupid. Your records are honest. They're the same type of, I mean, it still comes from the same type of place in your heart and your vision. It's not like you, you know, it, it's not like you had Rob Thomas or Matchbox 20 come in and do backing vocals or something. It seems like it is a complete extension of what the band does. Why is everybody have to, you know, put the jaws of life around your ass to see what makes you tick? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like the records are all... They're, they're great. They're all, I mean, you haven't done anything stupid musically. It's like, well, here's, you know, here, here's my here's my lounge record. <laughs> it's not something like that. I think that, you know, in that time, changing what you do, you know, is, is you know, definitely vilifying that, that type of thing. It's totally worth it. But I can't understand why everybody cares about that stuff if you're still making the same shows, making the same type of music that still has that vision and that, that heart. And I, I don't get it. So where does all, where does all this stuff come from, essentially? People are so passionate about music uh, in both extremes, you know, good and bad. Uh, I mean, I've I, I've pointed my finger many times um, previously in my life at bands for what I thought was wrong when I actually had no clue what I was pointing a finger at. And I don't know, I just think people are just super passionate about it. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, mean, I just, I mean, kind of... How does I just don't know how the and like back to that quote that Mark Kramer quote about you know what frame it's in or what gallery it's hanging, you know I mean you make a record that sounds like Nickelback, uh, you know come on I, you know I'm gonna be on you like white on rice. Yeah. yeah. At the same time though, you know, it kind of going along with that that quote of what's the guy's name Mark Kramer. Mark Kramer. Yeah. yeah. Like if we were to make a record that sounded like Nickelback, then it'd be stupid to hate us personally. It's fine to hate the, that, 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 that record then. That's kind of like saying like, well, I really love that painting, and oh, they made that painting, and I hate that painting. I hate that artist, you know? Like, just because you don't like one thing from the next thing, what it, that has nothing to do with uh, the ability of the artist or, or, uh, or the artist as a person, you know? You should be, feel, you should be free as a, as a musician, artist, or whatever, as a person to do... To, to follow your muse, to do what you want to do, to see where your creativity takes you. That's not to say everything you're going to do is going to be golden, you know? Of course you're going to make some mistakes along the way, and of course you're going to produce some crap out there. That's usually what demoing is for, and then you hope that your <laughs> demos don't get leaked onto the internet, you know? But that can't always happen all the time. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Trent Reznor was working on, when he was working on records, songs for uh, The Fragile, the record after Downward Spiral, he, wrote all, he said he wrote all these weepy songs on piano, and then at the end of it he just went, oh man, and took the tapes and like smashed them up and burn them <laughs> just because he figured somebody would be out and dump oh, yeah. Trent lives there. Let's go through the dumpster and see what crap he you know, <laughs> has in his shoebox someplace. <laughs> so I can completely understand that, and that goes that also reflects with you know with with Andrew's comment about you know that passion about feeling that thing. I don't think maybe people we use we use we use phrases describing oh that sucks when it really doesn't suck. It's it's just there. It doesn't leave me a hot or cold. It's you know it's it's in a vacuum, you know because it, it genuinely takes effort to hate something yeah you yeah. know whereas most of the time when people say it sucks they're just kind of saying it's boring it's this it, you know it's that whatever you know you, you don't like it you don't hate it you're just so incredibly Apathetic ambivalent about towards it, it. Yeah. you're completely ambivalent about it and it really doesn't it really doesn't matter but i think it's because you were talking about that passion and it just seems like certain people i guess certain people come to certain bands for certain things you know, like that type of, you know, like some sort of, you know, like that whole, you know, sonic courage or, you know, empowerment. How many, you know, I, not that I would like to make fun of people who have, like, committed suicide, but how many times have you heard, dude, your record saved my life, that type of thing. I can understand that, and I guess I can kind of understand when somehow 
people feel that they don't aren't getting anything or what it was or something that they originally came to you for. Is this all making sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of the times too, like I've, I've noticed definitely with our band, you know, from experiences with people being like, I love that record and oh, I don't like your new record so much, you know. But you have the same thing happen with every record. You know, we're going to put out another record two years from now, and people are going to be like, oh, I loved New Wave, and I really just don't like your new record. And a lot <laughs> of that just has to do with the fact that when you get introduced to a band, it is the, f the first initial experience you have with that band that, of course, you're going to feel most passionate about it because that's what you will remember the strongest, you know? Like, I love Rancid, you know? I think they're a great band. But I love the first three records more than I love the ones that, you know, came after them just because it was a time and place in my life where I really identified with Rancid, you know, and I, and I, I really listened to, to, to their music and liked it and it fit it. And then I kind of grew up and mo moved on and, and it just didn't, their, their previous records, while they weren't necessarily doing that much different, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't that time and place in my life. Sure. I understand that. So do you think kind of, do you think that a lot of, because music holds this ability to freeze a moment in time. Do you feel a lot of people, they kind of come to it and they think they can kind of relive that or kind of get some sort of element of something back then or maybe something that they can take away from it that just goes beyond, oh, it's got a nice beat to it, I like yeah. it. No, I totally. Know. Well, I mean, when you're, when you're 16 years old, regardless of what bands you're listening to, that's a magical time in your life. Everyone's going to remember when they were 16 years old, when you're 40, 50, you know, whatever, how many years down the road. You're going to remember when you're 16 years old. So obviously the music you're listening to when you're 16 years old is going to mean a lot to you. And when you move on from that age, it's not that magical time. You know, there's just certain points in your life where you'll, you'll always remember that. I mean, so it works. What would you think somebody, you know, I'll tell you what, why don't we say this? Finish this sentence. Hey, this is the Rock Journalism Mad Lib. Guys, I'd like to hang out with you tonight, but I'm going to go crack open my copy of Against Me's New Wave and... <laughs> Sounds like he's going to a tailgating <laughs> party already. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go drive five miles under the speed limit <laughs> over a bridge. Oh! <laughs> Zing. You rat bastard. That's all I could think of. It's I'm first fighting thing. you. I'm fighting it's you right thing. now. <laughs> the sound you hear. I wish, I, if, if it was me and I was 16 years old, I would say I was going to go crack open my copy of Against Me's New Wave and I'm going to learn all the guitar parts. If I was 16. Because that's when you, because yeah. that's what, in that time frame, that's what you were doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, uh, We'd, we'd learn how to cover a song. Yeah. Yeah. While That's drinking good. shitty beer. <laughs> oh, we're musicians. Yes. Oh, you're me. Yeah. Yeah, we're you're musicians. So above everybody else. I'm, I'm a fucking so artist. What am I doing here? Artiste. <laughs> He's an artiste. Um, you are from Time Magazine, right? What do you, yeah, yeah, I'm from Crime Magazine, actually. <laughs> um, what's the future hold for Against Me? More tour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, get another record. Uh, there'll be new music in 2009. I don't know. Hard to say. Wait, we're not even 08 yet. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly. You're on the, you know. I mean, you're yeah. obviously going to be, you know, like getting in the pirate ship for. <clears throat> I'm sure we'll still be touring. 2008. Probably, you know, come this time we'll be winding down touring for New Wave and starting to think about recording the next record. But who knows? You know, I mean, we could feel inspired and crank out an EP or something like that. We could we could try the rap record we've been talking about for a while now. <laughs> yeah. And just see what happens. You know, the, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's gonna, you know, it's gonna happen now. Somebody's gonna get this podcast and like on the AP podcast, they said they're gonna make a rap record. Oh man, that's really gonna suck. You know, you're Gia, just, you're Gia. just poking <laughs> Tom Gable poking the hornet's nest since <laughs> <laughs> since 1997.
damn message boards. <laughs> damn it. Gentlemen, it was really great having you here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So much. Uh, you know, we wish you the best of luck. And um, uh, I hope there's a day and age where, um, you know, the, the music industry will take care of whatever it has to do and good music will prevail. And hopefully those people who like to gnaw on their punk rock rule book will choke on it. <laughs> My name is Jason Pettigrew, I'm editor in chief from Alternative Press Magazine. We've How many? Been talking, we've been talking with the fine gentlemen from against me, Tom and Andrew. Thank you very much. Live from the Lava Room Recording Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. Now go turn off the oh, wait, computer. It's the Lava Room Recording We're Studios, the and there's lava lamps. Oh, Whoa, he's got it. Oh, <laughs> what Tom is Gable this? with the rhombus-shaped head, ladies and gentlemen. What is this Cleveland? <laughs> Thank you so much. Now go turn off the computer and listen to music instead of ideology. <laughs> AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Ortenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.